Pride Month is a time to celebrate the various identities that make up our wonderful and diverse community. It is also a time to reflect on and honor the powerful contributions of those who've come before us. We stand on the shoulders of giants. James Baldwin, Larry Kramer, Bayard Rustin, Sylvia Rivera, and Marsha P. Johnson. To them and countless other trailblazers, we are humbly indebted and forever grateful. If you'd like more information on the movement or recommendations on how you can help, go to blacklivesmatter.com partners. In these dark and difficult times, we hope that this episode brings you a little bit of joy and light. Welcome to this special Pride Month episode of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff. And I'm Will. Author Rick R. Reed began his career in the 1990s writing horror. Back in episode 85, he talked to us about his journey, going from blood-curdling chills to warm and fuzzy gay romance. Well, he's back with us for Pride Month and is giving us some insight into the book that's been nominated for a Lambda Literary Award. Rick, thanks so much for being here and celebrating Pride Month with us. I'm super happy to be here, and thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's good to have you back. It's It's been a long while. Tell us what you're going to read from and, and what that book's about. I am going to read, I hope this doesn't sound too boastful, but I'm going to read from the book that was is a finalist this year for a Lambda Literary Award, and that is Blue Umbrella Sky. And it's set right here in Palm Springs. And I'm very proud of it and very proud of the nomination. And I just thought that would be a good thing to read because it's been recently re-released via Nine Star Press and, and it's available for sale if, if my reading piques your interest. What's that book about? I'll give you a little bit of history. My inspiration for it, Blue Umbrella Sky, comes from a Frank Sinatra song called Summer Winds. Frank Sinatra is a Palm Springs icon. He lived here for many years his his widow lived here he's buried here he's really a, a palm springs person and i set blue umbrella sky in a trailer park called summer winds and in the song summer winds blue umbrella sky is is in the in the lyrics and it was the first book i wrote after moving here set in the desert because i have to get a feel for a place before i can really write about it especially something book length and the first time i experienced rain was in the summer and you know there's a song they say it never rains in california but when it does it pours mm -hmm. And that was very much the case. There was flash flooding and it was a summer day and it just was a deluge and streets were blocked off and flooded. And I heard on the news about a trailer park that was up against a mountain and there was a, the water washed down off the mountain and flooded this whole trailer park. And so that's where my <laughs> meet cute came from. <laughs> my two main characters, Milt Graybauer and Billy Blue, uh, meet during this flood. Milt has just moved out to Palm Springs from Ohio, where he's still mourning the loss of his husband, who passed away uh, from complications due to Alzheimer's. And he wanted to make a fresh start. And so 
he was a teacher. He didn't have a lot of money. He sold their house and he bought himself this little trailer, this uh, Summer Winds trailer park. And Billy Blue is uh, a recovering alcoholic, a much younger man. It's sort of a May-December romance. And uh, when the flood occurs at the beginning of the book, that's how the two meet. And uh, they go out together to look for the dog Milt adopts from the Palm Springs Animal Shelter. And, uh, and it goes from there. I love that. I love a meet cute that happens kind of coming off some kind of a natural disaster sort of thing. So I'm excited to hear what you've got to read from this. Well, okay. Um, what I'm going to read actually is kind of Billy and Milt have just met each other. Uh, they've been out looking for Milt's dog, Ruby, in the, who was lost in the storm, but they do find her. So there's a happy ending there. But Billy invites Milt to to have some dinner with him. And so this excerpt is sort of uh, a bit of their, not their first meeting, but the first time they've actually interacted with each other. So I'll just go ahead, right? Great, yes. Billy regarded Milk Graybauer across his dining table, a big round wooden spool he'd managed to salvage from some construction site. It was bleached by the sun and sometimes gave splinters but it held up year after year, in home after home, like some stalwart creature, Billy's constant companion. He'd even taken out his trailer's built-in dining table just to make room for it. There was something about how weathered it was, but still strong. It reminded Billy of himself, or maybe the man he longed to meet but could never seem to find. They were eating Billy's homemade carnitas and tortillas. There was pico de gallo and a bowl of sour cream to tame the heat of the pork. The carnitas had a nice crust from being browned first in lard and a mysterious sweetness from the Mexican Coke Billy used for braising. Milt, he thought, was a ghost of a man, a haunted presence, not unlike Boo Radley and Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird. He'd watched the man ever since he'd moved in just below him last February. At first, Billy thought Milt's standoffishness could be attributed to simply settling in. Billy, who'd moved more times than he could count, which was why his own home was a rental, understood the preoccupation with building a nest for oneself. It took time and effort to take a place from being a house to a home. Feeling a bit like a stalker, Billy found he enjoyed watching his new neighbor, even if their paths hadn't crossed in any significant way. There was something about Milt's loneliness and inherent sadness that called out to Billy. He wondered, of course, all sorts of things, like where Milt was from, how he managed to be at home every day without a job, what particular story had brought him to the desert. Everyone, it seemed, had one. The valley was filled with transplants. As time went on, Billy realized simply getting settled and making a home for himself wasn't the principal reason for his neighbor's standoffishness. No, Milt was reaching out for bigger reasons, Billy decided. Ever intuitive, Billy realized this was a man who was mourning. He didn't know if the loss was a person or a thing, but Billy picked up on the haunted look in Milt's eyes when he'd pass him walking his dog or out on his patio reading. Billy always lofted a cheery, how you doing, the other man's way, hoping he'd get more in return than he did. But the best he ever got was a smile and a nod. Billy got it. He really did. The desert was a place 
people often came in hopes of starting a new life, of recreating themselves. Billy himself, just a few years ago, was one of those people. He'd come here for the sunshine, the excellent recovery community, and to escape big city life, which was making him feel increasingly lost and alone. Billy had fantasized more than once that Milt would stop in the street to chat, or that he'd invite him onto the patio for some advice on how best to care for the jasmine plant and the little barrel cactuses he had in pots. Billy would advise him on watering and positioning for sun exposure. They'd pause and stare meaningfully into each other's eyes and then proceed inside. The dark would be cool and at first blinding. The window unit would be whirring, maybe even whining as it struggled to contend with the triple digit heat. Barely able to see, Billy would at last get a chance to reach out to explore the sharp planes of Milt's face with his fingertips. The first touch would be charged, would be a charged moment full of electricity, lust, and something else that Billy could only imagine as coming home. Yes, Billy had a crush. It had developed from perhaps the first moment he spied Milt unloading his little U-Haul truck by himself. He wore a pair of beat-up camo cargo shorts and a pair of hiking boots. If he'd had a shirt on, he'd wisely gotten rid of it. His body was tight, compact, slick with sweat. He was whiter than the average desert bear. Salt and pepper hair graced not only his head and face, but also spread out in lovely curls on his broad chest. The hair, the hair narrowed down into one of the sexiest treasure trails Billy had ever seen. And he'd seen a few, well, maybe more than a few, which finally disappeared into the dark, sweat-stained webband of his shorts. He'd even gone over and offered to help, but Milt had merely wiped the sweat off his brows, saying only, thanks, but I got it. Milt made his dismissal obvious when he turned his back on Billy to get back to work. Before turning away himself, Billy allowed himself a tiny moment to savor the progress of a bead of sweat between Milt's shoulder blades as it ran quicker, quicker down his back and disappeared into the wonderland concealed by those damn camo shorts. Billy worried that maybe Milt was one of the straight ones, a breeder. There were a few around and Billy bore them no ill will. They did serve a purpose after all. But still, he couldn't help but admire his older neighbor with his amazing pale gray, gray eyes, his taut build, the way his buzzed hair clung close and thick to his perfectly formed head. Billy could imagine how all that stubble would feel between his thighs. His bud Kyle back in LA had told him just before Billy moved out to Palm Springs, dude, your daddy fetish will come alive out there. Slim pickings, it's not. Billy had to sort of mentally shake himself when he realized Milt was actually speaking. This is delicious. Where did a Nordic, Nordic type like you learn to cook like this? Mexican boyfriend back in Chicago, Hector. He taught me all about flavors this Nordic type had no idea existed. Things like cumin, bay, oregano, cilantro. Mexican food isn't about heat. It's about layers of flavor although I do like the shock a good habanero could bring to your tongue. Billy smiled. That's it. That's all I have for today. Thank you so much for introducing us to Billy and Milt. They sound incredible.
Um, that was really good. Wow. Thank you. So in this month of pride, what does pride mean to you? You know, I was thinking about that and I'm not sure I have a brilliant answer for it. There was a time when I was uh, first coming out, I guess, that I thought, I actually thought pride wasn't necessary. I just wanted equality. I wanted us to be kind of melded in and neither pride, neither proud nor ashamed of who we were. And it's, it's, but I've come to change my view on that. And I think any marginalized community, and we're still a marginalized community, kind of needs to celebrate themselves and, and show the world who they are. So I, I think it's, it's a great thing that we come together, not only across the country, but across the world with pride celebrations. And I think it means a lot to every LGBTQ person to have this special time, whether it falls in June or not. Could not agree more. Well, thank you so much for being part of our virtual Pride celebration. You're very welcome. We hope you've enjoyed this special Pride Month bonus episode. Remember that the pride that we have is something we carry within us, no matter the time of year. So be proud, be strong, and above all else, be you. Thank you so much for listening. For a complete rundown of this month's bonus content, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com slash Pride 2020. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. New episodes of this show are available every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. You can help support this show with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For more information about joining our community and the bonus content we deliver, check out patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. I'm Kurt Graves. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.